uh, invite you to please turn with me uh, back to the portion of scripture that we read together just a moment ago. Uh, to turn and have open in front of you Matthew chapter 6 and from verse 25. And this morning, I, I want to talk to you about what we might call an unregistered sin. An unregistered sin. And by that, I am not talking about an offence that goes unrecorded or unnoticed by God. No, I'm talking about an offence that so often goes unnoticed and unrecorded by you and by me. An unregistered sin. So to what do I refer? Well, let's think of it like this. If I were to ask the children, the boys and girls of this congregation, if I were to ask them for an example of a sin, of sinful behavior, what might the kids say to me? They might say murder. They might say theft. That These are sin, sinful behavior. And if you were asked the same thing, what might we say? What might we say? We might say apathy towards God is a sin. Unbelief in Christ Jesus. This is sinful behavior. Right? We would say things like this. A sin. Sinful behavior. Now I ask you this. What about this subject of Jesus' discourse in Matthew chapter 6? Would you class worry as an attitude that causes great offense to your God? Am I not right in suggesting that worry, anxiety, and due concern, that it isn't something that we regard as falling into the category of sinfulness? That it is for us, even in the church, an unregistered, unnoticed sin. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to consider what are some very challenging statements that are made by Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And the hope this morning is that God will from here propel us into 2017 and propel us into this new year trusting more in Him and trusting more in His wonderful and amazing grace. So let's let's look at this portion of scripture together, shall we? The first thing that we need to notice here is an instruction about worry expressed. Okay, you got it? An instruction about worry expressed. And here, all I want us to do is really to notice the first few words that Jesus says in verse 25. Would you, just the first few words. Would you look at them in verse 25? I, I think you've got to remember though, what Jesus has just said. In the previous section that Gabriel read out, do you remember how it ended? Jesus has kind of spoken out against materialism, hasn't he? Worldliness. And he said, you can't love both God and money. Hasn't he said that? You can't. Then he says, therefore, look at verse 25. What's the first few words? Therefore, I tell you, ready for the next three words. Do not worry. Do not worry. What is 
aren't you with me today? It's a rather unusual, rather difficult instruction, command to get from... Do, what is that? Do you know? What is it? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not a ban uh, on concern. It's not. You see what I mean by that? That we are not to worry... It doesn't mean that we're not to sort of think about or plan for the future. It's nothing like that, is it? Is it? You know, it's not a call from Jesus to recklessness or foolishness or something like that. It's not that. No, I tell you what I think we need to know. We need to know that it's the same word that is used elsewhere in the Bible for Martha. Do you remember the episode? You remember the episode. Mary, what's Mary doing? Mary's seated at the feet of Jesus. And what's she doing? She's listening intently to her Lord. But where's Martha? Martha's rushing about the place, isn't she? Martha's distracted. She's fretting. She's stressing about other things. It's the same word. It's the same attitude. Do you, do you begin to see what we're dealing with? This is a, com- this is a command against being unduly preoccupied. Are you with me? This is about you and I being overly anxious, overly concerned. But I just begs a question, I think. Doesn't it just beg a question? Like if Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning, you know, do not worry. If we are not to be unduly anxious about certain things, you see the question, what certain things are we not to be unduly anxious about? So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll turn that over to you this morning. You, 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 you think about it here. Let's pretend that we've never read this portion of scripture before. I think it's probably familiar to most of us, right? But let's pretend we've never read it. And Jesus is saying to us, do not worry. What might we expect him to tell us not to worry about? Might we not expect Jesus to say, don't worry about the peripheral things in life? Isn't that what we maybe expect? Isn't it? Jesus might say, look, it's okay to worry about like putting food on the table. And it's okay to worry about what tomorrow might bring. It's okay to worry about your health. Don't worry about luxuries. Don't worry about extravagances. Don't worry about the peripheral things of life. Might we not expect that that's what Jesus would go on to say? Are we thinking that? We need to think again because look at verse 25. Look how he goes on. Look what he says here. He says, I tell you, do not worry about, what does he say? Your life. Look at it. Look how he unpacks it. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't even worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Do you see? It's not just the peripheral things. Like Jesus here is saying, look, look, there should not be any undue concern, even for the basics, man. No undue anxiety, even over the very essentials of our lives. Isn't that something, isn't it? Now, before we move on, let me, let me deal with a problem. A, a real problem, I think, here. Because this is what I think we do with this instruction. I think we take it, we think, okay, do not worry. And we immediately doubt that obedience to that command is possible. Don't we do that? 
that we think an instruction like do not worry is unrealistic from Jesus. Don't we? You know, if he said, okay, don't kill, yeah, I'm down with that. Uh, don't steal, yeah, we can go, don't worry. Don't we respond, but, but that's part of who I am. I, I'm a worrier. We hear that all the time. I am a worrier. It's part of my nature. We doubt that obedience to a command like this is possible. So let me remind you of something. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Who is Jesus speaking to primarily in the Sermon on the Mount? Who's he speaking to? Primarily, he is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his own people. Do you begin to see why Jesus can make such a huge demand here of his disciples and throughout the centuries of his people? Do you see why? Because he knows just what he is capable of doing. He knows that such is the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in the hearts of his people. He knows even a command like this, even do not worry in the power of the Holy Spirit, it is achievable. And isn't that worth taking into 2017? Isn't it? That what I'm about to say is true. Ready for it? That if, as Christians, we rely ever more on the Holy Spirit over these next 12 months, do you know what's going to happen? Do you know what can be true? We can worry less in 2017. And we can worry less all for the glory of our God. The second thing that we must notice here is an instruction about worry explained. So we've got an instruction about what he expressed. We see something, the nature of the command, but we also see an instruction about what he explained. And I'll, I'll... Yeah, this is where we're going to camp out for the most part this morning. Why? Because this is Jesus' main concern in the portion of Scripture. Wouldn't you agree with that? What happens in this portion of Scripture as it goes forward? It's not that Jesus unpacks punishments that are due to those who dare to worry or anything like that. What does Jesus do in this portion of scripture? What does he do? He explains to us why worrying is wrong. And I'm going to suggest that God gives you this morning three reasons why as a Christian you shouldn't worry. So you get me? Second heading, but three reasons why it is that you and I shouldn't, as Christians, worry. The first is this, that worrying is useless. So, would you look at verse 27 with me? I'll give you a moment to look at it, to find verse 27. But have a wee look at verse 27 with me. I'm saying worrying is useless. Look at verse 27. You got it? So Jesus says this, he says, Who of you, by worrying... Can, what does he say, can add, who of you can, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Now, that can actually mean a couple of different things. I don't know what version of the Bible uh, that you've got in front of you just now. Um, but it could mean, as the King James version has it, it could be Jesus saying something like this. Who of you, 
by worrying can add any height to his stature. That could be the idea. So it could be that. Or it could be, as the church Bible, the NIV Bible has, and you see the idea of what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, who of you, by worrying, can prolong his life? Now, whichever way we render that, you see the point. Surely you see the point. And the point is the same point, isn't it? I ask you, what do we achieve when we unduly worry about things? What do we, what do we achieve? What's go- nothing. Like absolutely not, not nothing is achieved by undue anxiety. Isn't that true? In fact, what would studies today on anxiety tell us? They tell us that the opposite is true. They tell us that worry, far from being beneficial for you, is actually detrimental. Isn't that right? What does worry do? It ruins our health, man. It ruins our sleep patterns, doesn't it? It leads us into broken relationships. That the works. You see it. You see what Jesus is saying here. Why should the Christian not worry? First things, what? Because it's utterly, utterly useless. Second one, worrying is also unnecessary for the Christian. It's useless, but it is unnecessary. I don't know if, uh, friends, if you were, when you were young, a teenager, I don't know if you are a rebellious youth or not. I don't know, back in the days when you were a teenager, whether you were wayward slightly or defiant, were you? Well, if you were, you know how that works. Uh, if you're rebellious in your teenage years, you're usually determined to do and think the exact opposite of your parents. Isn't that how it usually tends to work? Opposition or rebelliousness of youth manifests itself in opposition to mum and opposition to dad. Isn't that right? Well, um, that's, I suppose, uh, that's what I was like a little bit when, when I was young. Especially when it came to what I was going to be when I would grow up. Okay, when I was a teenager, I had absolutely no idea what career path, or what job, or what, no idea. I did know this though. I was not going to do what my dad did. Okay, I was determined. Like he's, he was a biology teacher, a biologist, and I was open to being anything, like anything at all. As long as it had nothing to do with nature or biology or the natural world, okay? Now, if you were, like me, a rebellious youth, you know how that changes uh, as you grow up, don't you? Uh, Before long, as you grow up, you actually realise that your parents were not quite as crazy. (laughs) Not quite as crazy as uh, you once thought. And despite yourself, as you grow up, you even find yourself appreciating some of the things that your parents appreciated. Right? Isn't that true? Well, that's how it has happened in, in my life for me. Like, I've grown up, and now I find my, despite myself, I find myself actually interested and fascinated in the natural world, in, in nature, despite myself. And you can see why that is, can't you? Like, we look at the natural world, we look at nature, and we learn so much. Isn't that right? We look at the natural world, and we learn about life. And from nature, we learn about death. And actually, from nature, 
we learn so much about the God that we worship. And here's the thing. Isn't that what Jesus is doing with you in this portion of Scripture? Do you see what I mean? Twice here, our Lord takes you and he points you to the natural world and he says, learn the lesson about God. Do you see? Twice. He points you, first of all, to the birds of the air. Then he points you to the flowers of the field. So what is this point? What is he trying to tell us? Well, look at it. What does he say about birds? Look at verse 26 with me. Look at, what does he say? Verse 26. He says, look at the bird. He points you to the birds. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store away in barns. And yet, what does he say? Your heavenly father feeds them. Do you see? It's really quite a miracle when you think about it, isn't it? Like, isn't the, the life of a bird, isn't it the most fragile of existences you can imagine, right? The life of a bird. And yet we walk about, we don't see hundreds of birds dying of starvation. Why not? Because even though they are relatively insignificant to God, so good is our God, what does he do? <laughs> he cares and he provides for them. Now what about, what, wait, wait a minute, what about the flowers? Again, look with me, look at verse 28, the flowers. What does he say? He says, though they do not labor, they are, look at the word, the labor spin, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like that. Why? It's the same thing, is it not? Even though the flowers of the field are so insignificant to this mighty God, so good is he that he cares even for them. Friend, do you see the point? Worrying for the Christian, it is utterly unnecessary. If God is so good that he will provide everything needed for what is mere furnishing in this world created for man, how much more is he going to care for the people he looks down upon with care and love and covenant faithfulness? And don't you take that, don't you take that to heart, don't you cherish it as you go into a new year? I don't think it's any coincidence at all that in this portion of scripture about worry, how does Jesus time and again refer to God? What does he say? Time and again he says, your heavenly father. Do you understand? You this year have a God, you have a father who knows exactly what it is that you will need today and for the next 12 months. More than that. You have a father who promises to provide absolutely everything that you will need in the coming months. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it, isn't it marvelous? The fact that worrying for the Christians, not useless, but it is unnecessary. We have a God of love. But I said three of these things, didn't I? Three reasons why worrying is wrong. The last and just the word is that worrying is also unfitting for you. It's unfitting. Now look with me. Let me draw your attention to verse 32. It's just a small phrase in here, but it's very important. Verse 32. Jesus says that the pagans run after these things. 
Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that a mark of ungodliness is to worry and to be anxious. That the life of the ungodly, the pagans, their lives are characterized by undue concern. So here's here's the, where the rubber meets the road. Friends, what happens when you and I worry in this life from Julie? Do you see from that what happens? We display worldliness to the world when we worry. Now when, when, when we worry, we radiate, we display to those around us a lack of trust that we have in our God. When we worry, we live quite simply as the pagans do. And, and I ask you this, what is your great desire in 2017 as a Christian sitting here? What's your number one thing for 2017? Is it not this? Is it not to stand firm for Christ this year? Tell know what you want, your heart, hearts, the stand is a light for Jesus in this dark world, isn't it? Isn't it? If so, how about this? Let us, starting now, repent of our preoccupations. Do you see it? Let us turn away today from our worries. Let's take these undue concerns. Let's hand them over to God. And for once in our life, let us leave our worries with him. Why? Because worrying is useless. It is unnecessary. And it is also unfitting for the children of God. A third and a last heading that we see here. And it's an instruction about worry enlarged upon. So we've seen an instruction about worry expressed. We've seen an instruction about worry explained and unpacked in three ways. Now we see an instruction about worry enlarged upon. I think you could have been forgiven for coming to church today with a fair degree of trepidation. You looked at the calendar and you saw, okay, how's this going to go? Okay, Sunday, all right, the 1st of January falls on a Sunday. So you could have come here feeding, oh, the minister is going to preach a really cheesy sermon on New Year's resolutions, right? Really cringy sermon. If you're thinking like that, I am with you 100%. I think uh, they are a wee, New Year's resolutions are a wee bit tacky, aren't they? They're a wee bit uh, cheesy, are they not? But that said, wouldn't you agree that this is a most valuable time of year for you and I, Christians? Do you see what I mean? That we are actually afforded today an opportunity to consider and evaluate our lives as the children of God. Now we can today, 1st of January, we can look at our lives and think, well wait a minute, as a Christian here, what needs to change? Not you know, does my weight need to change? Well, that sort of thing. But wait a minute, what about my Christian walk? My walk honouring Christ? What about this needs to be altered? See, we have that opportunity this morning. And does what Jesus not going to say here, does it not have a bearing on how you and I should approach this new year? Because I wonder if you see what happens in this portion of Scripture. He's told us not to worry. 
He's told us why we're not to worry. He then does this. He then tells us what our attitude in life should be instead of worrying. And I want to show you. Look at verse 33. What does he say? He says, don't worry, but instead seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No, this is how we end and bring it all together. What does that mean? Well, think of it like this. The kingdom of God is really Christ's reign over every element of his people's lives. You ever wondered what the kingdom of God was? It's that. It is Christ's rule over every single element of your life. That's the kingdom of God. Now, what are we told? What are we commanded to do in relation? What are the words there? What does he say? He says, seek first his kingdom. You see what that means? Seek first. I think not just in terms of chronology. It's not just seek first. It's not just pursue Christ before you pursue other things. It's not just in terms of chronology. It is in terms of priority. You see, to pursue, submit to the rule of Christ as the matter of first importance in our lives. What are we to do? We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so I say this to you. You this morning, right now, you stand in a doorway, don't you? You stand in a doorstep faced with this bright, shiny, new year. I wonder, do you hear what it is that God is calling for from your life in 2017? Listen to me. God desires that in all things you seek first His glory. That you seek... His glory, first of all, in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That you seek His glory in the way that you trust and pray, in the way that you study the Scriptures, in the way that you obey. But then you move on. Yes, we love Christ. But this year we have to honor Him in our personal relationships with other people. You see that? That we are to glorify God amongst those we live with and amongst the people that we work with and in our communities and in our churches. In all things. Really is as comprehensive as that. In all things. We don't pander to our worries and our anxieties. What do we do? This year, what do we do? This year we pursue the honor of a risen and exalted I end with the elephant in the room. What is the command from God before you this morning? Do not worry. And what is the elephant in the room? We have all worried. Is there anyone in this room just now? Anyone in this hall who would stand up and say, I've never done this. I've never unduly worried about anything in my life. We've all done this. Do you see what that means? It means that each 
And every one of us in here, myself included, we have fallen short. Don't you see? We've missed the bar. We've missed the mark. We've fallen short of the standard that God has set for salvation. We've worried. We've broken his law. We have offended God by our undue concern. We have all sinned. So you see, part of the reason for the design of this command, you see what it is designed to do? It is designed to show you your need of a saviour. You see it, don't you? We do this. We disobey our God. How we needed somebody to come and live representative life for us, didn't we? Somebody to come. Somebody who would live and would not unduly worry about anything. Someone who would come, live, and perfectly, perfectly pursue the glory of God. So don't we move into this new year Looking to, leaning on, rejoicing in that Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me, let me say this to you. Only in Christ that you will find any true, real, meaningful change this year. All this talk of New Year's resolutions, it's only in Jesus that you're gonna change. It's only in his power that this year, 2017, we will worry less. And it is only in Christ Jesus, our Savior, it's only in him, that this year, London City Presbyterian Church, we can seek first the kingdom of God. Let's pray.